You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Cherry in 2021. Adam Thomas and Thomas Nariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Nariani. My biggest accomplishment wasn't dying. And I am Adam Thomas. And I just want to know if the seagulls on the beach can hear my prayer. I mean, that's what we all really want to know. It's the eternal question that all men must face. Yep. Thomas, are we official? Would you call us official? Um, you know, I don't know if I'd quite call us official, but I have many strong feelings toward you. Oh, okay. Um, well, all right. You're going to go dance on the beach real quick and climb up yep. a yep. palm tree like a cat up a palm tree. That's thinking about climbing a palm tree. <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll get into all of that in a second, but welcome everybody to the Double Edge Double Bill, where every week Adam and I cover a good and a bad feature related to a topic that we decide on here. And, you know, every year, about midway through and then at the end of the year, we like to talk about just movies that came out this year. We don't usually get a chance to cover movies from the specific year we're recording in. Uh, we've already done one this year, though, like Psycho Goreman. Uh, but otherwise, yep. we've uh, mostly been keeping the newer movies to uh, our early plug, our Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. We have a show on the edge of relevance where we talk about modern movies. We've done about nine episodes of that so far. We'll continue to do throughout the year uh, to talk about some newer releases. Uh, but, you know, much like 2020, um, 2021 has also been a very interesting year in films, uh, though particularly, at least in this case, uh, we've both gone to the theater again for the first time in a while uh when we talked about fast nine on the show that was at least your first movie in theaters yeah correct correct and uh only movie in theaters so far i, I plan on going uh this upcoming weekend uh can't hint for anybody <laughs> maybe something's happening but um it's been a wild year man i don't know if it's been a good year for movies yet to be fair yeah i think much like 2020 uh, a lot of the interesting ones are sort of like a bit more hidden you got kind of uh, find them um, amongst some of the the glut of streaming releases necessarily. Um, but it, it's been interesting going back to the movies. I've been roughly about, like, honestly, like five or ten times, honestly, just because I got that AMC Stubbs thing back, and I've been able to go and have fully vaccinated, which, by the way, uh, we'll have a spot for the ESO network we've been playing for a while about that, but uh, we recommend everybody, if you haven't, please, please do. Yeah, because, you know, I would like to go back to the theater without being terrified for my life. Yeah. So let's do that. And that's the major concern. All about Adam, not about the well-being yep. of other human beings, whatever. Nope, Adam wants to go back to this show. <laughs> that's, that's exactly why. But I don't know, I, I think it's a very transitional time as well, just because even the movies that have come out so far in theaters and have 
you know, grossed a lot of money. I'm curious, Adam, do you know what is the highest grossing movie so far, at least domestically? Because if we go internationally, it's a lot of, like, the Chinese market has had a lot of, like, big movies that have come out and made more than most of the big, like, international um, releases. But of the domestic box office, highest grossing, what do you think? Is it Black Widow? It is not Black Widow. That's number three. Fast Nine, then? No, that's number two. I don't know. That's uh... interesting. It's by a matter of about $200,000. Separates Fast Nine and the number one movie. Oh, well, shit. I have no idea, dude. It's A Quiet Place Part 2. Oh, yeah. I did know that. Uh, yeah, That's wild. Yeah, it's like 154.0 something versus 153.8, basically. It's a million. It's like that thin a margin. But so, yeah, that one's been the biggest sort of like unrequited success compared to like also with the international box office and stuff. Um, it, it's been interesting because with like Fast 9 and we're recording this uh, when the results for Black Widow's second weekend have come out, uh, both have had major dips more so than some of the other ones in their franchises. So it's curious. It's it's a bit of like, obviously there's, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. There's a lot of issues going on with that. Uh, but also maybe people aren't as hesitant to like go to the theater multiple times with some of those movies. Well, that too. And plus with Black Widow, you know, you got to figure the Disney premiere access is available. Right. So a lot of people are probably watching it at home. And then with Fast 9, I generally think it's just kind of franchise fatigue as well. Right. It was interesting. Disney, for the first time, ever released their premiere access numbers. And it was like in theaters the opening weekend and made about $80 million. And on streaming, it was 60. Wow. There's a lot to, like, sort of analyze with that. But regardless, we're here more to talk about uh, two completely separate movies, uh, neither of which came out in theaters, uh, that um, have uh, a bit of an interesting edge to both of them. Uh, We'll be talking about uh, the bad pick that Adam ended up picking last time, which was Cherry, which is available on Apple TV+. Um, and then the good pick is Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, which was for a while on like VOD. That's where I originally saw it back in like April or so. Uh, but now it's streaming on Hulu. Yeah. Yes. And also keep in mind, everybody, because these are newer movies, uh, we don't usually do spoiler warnings, but it's probably appropriate for this time. Just we're going to go into full spoilers with both of these, starting with Cherry. I'm 23 years old and sometimes I wonder if life was wasted on me. I take all the beautiful things to heart Till I about die from it If I could save time in a bottle The first thing Hey, I'm really happy you're here Why is that? Because I like you But there never seems to be enough time to do You're it for me I feel the same way I joined the army Why would you do that? Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's going to happen. And it's a nightmare. So Cherry came out on February 26th of this year um, from directors Anthony and Joe Russo, who are mostly known for, uh, you know, some smaller movies that have come out recently, like um, Avengers Endgame. I don't know if you saw that one, Adam, or Infinity War. They're like smaller independent films. No, I haven't seen those yet. What are they about? Um, it, it's like an ensemble cast thing. It's kind of like Robert Altman, just like a bunch of. Oh, uh, yeah, um, no. So this is the first thing the Roosters have done since they were big people with Marvel. Uh, they did Captain America: The Winter Soldier and Captain America: Civil War and the last two Avengers movies. So 
Um, with those alone, they have a box office gross of over like three billion dollars, basically. <laughs> between kind of big deals right but even then before that to give him credit they were also very big tv guys uh like they directed the pilots for both community and arrested development and they were big producers on both those shows and so they've been around for quite a while um their only movies prior to their marvel work though were like a movie called welcome to collinwood that was like a george clooney executive produced movie nobody's seen and also the infamous you me and dupree with owen wilson (laughs) oh boy so not not as much, but the, the movie career is, is incredibly varied from incredibly minor bomb disasters to the biggest movies of all time. Uh, but Cherry is their first sort of big drama. It's uh, based on a novel by Nico Walker, um, who apparently it's very autobiographical about his life where he was in the military and then came back, had PTSD and became a drug addict. Um, and it stars Tom Holland, which is also notable because it's his first sort of big dramatic turn, because uh, obviously most people know him as Spider-Man. No, this isn't the guy who directed Child's Play. Uh, it's a different guy. Everybody. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this very sort of like gritty, grounded drama, sort of their attempt to be taken more seriously with the Russos and Tom Holland. And Adam, this was your pick. And um, th- does it fit the bad category? Does it? Uh, I mean, uh, well, drama, I think... I don't think even like sort of capsulates what they're trying to do with this movie. Uh, this is a downer of a movie for several reasons, uh, subject material. And um, it's a terrible movie. I mean, did they take the, the Russos have no style or substance to heart in this movie or what? I mean, they tried so many different camera tricks and filters and all this weird warping shit. And I mean, it's just, it's almost like painful to watch. It's so many different types of styles crammed together constantly. Yeah, that's the big thing with it is, um, you know, even though those movies made so much money, uh, there were, there have been some criticism from Marvel naysayers about how, like, oh, their movies kind of have, like, a very flat color palette, a lot of it looks gray. Like, a lot of people point to the Civil War big airplane battle and how it looks kind of gray, which I, you know, as much as I am a fan of those Marvel movies, I tend to agree that they don't have the most diverse yeah. color palette, especially considering... You got stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy, particularly Volume 2 and some other things that actually show off the more diverse visual range versus Uh I think the Russo brothers in their style tend to be guys who like are competent directors, but extremely good producers. That's what those their Marvel movies really feel like. It's kind of like getting everybody together and balancing them out very well feels it's more like their producerial brains working. Um, And I think that's the thing when watching Cherry is it does feel like they sort of took those accusations to heart and decide, you know, we're going to make something that's really ambitious and stylized and wild. It's going to be like a weird Oliver Stone movie. Almost there's a lot of points where it feels like that. It's kind of like, hey, let's do um, a combination of Born on the Fourth of July and Natural Born Killers. And what, yep. what ends up coming out is it feels less like a movie made by people who have made like literal like multi-billion dollar grossing movies and more like Apple gave $40 million of this budget to a bunch of first-time filmmakers because it just feels like, let's try everything, because we're just at a film school, as opposed to, you guys are, like, in your mid-40s, and you're doing this bullshit. It feels really, really taxing. Yeah, you know what it reminded me of, man? Like, I know you've seen it. There's episodes of Bob's Burgers that have done it. There's a uh, Night of the Living Dead version that came out where 
you know, they get like 30 different people to do 30 different styles in the course of one episode or one movie, you know, where there'll be different animation or different drawings or different whatever. Or even like projects on YouTube and stuff where it's like, let's recreate Shrek, yeah. but let's do like every scene's a different style of animation, that kind of thing. That's what this movie almost feels like, dude. <laughs> it's pretty well acted. Like Tom Holland's really trying in it. Um, it's just he doesn't fit the character for me at all. He is woefully miscast. Oh, Stephen Dorff at- recently had those comments about Black Widow where he's like, oh, I'm embarrassed for Scarlett Johansson or whatever. This is embarrassing. This is legit, yeah, this is embarrassing. incredibly embarrassing for Tom Holland, who just, I, I feel so bad, especially there are points where, like, Jack Rayner's character who plays this drug dealer that encounters him, tries to yeah. say, like, hey, did you get all the stuff out of my fucking safe? You took all those drugs? And he's like, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. And it's like, you're just doing Spider-Man. You you look, and now you sound like the 16-year-old kid who we watch in the I mean- fucking Marvel movies. A thousand percent. And, you know, one of my favorite things ever is that they make, they age, supposedly, Tom Holland 14 years in this movie. (laughs) He just, he just has longer hair and a fucking mustache. But it's still Tom Holland. Well, especially, like, at that point, that this is the end of the movie after, like, they show him incarcerated. Yeah. And it's like, keep in mind, he's gone through both war and, like, all this drug addiction. He's supposed to be almost 40 at this point. And Tom Holland was actually 23. Like, the character is supposed to be 23 yeah. throughout most of it. And he actually was that age. And he doesn't even look that age, unfortunately, because he still looks like fucking high schooler Spider-Man. So they try and age him up even more, and the ending shot is really him getting out of prison and going over to his uh, his girlfriend, and he just gives this smile at the end that's the literal last shot of the movie, and it's just like, oh, these are, one, fake mustache, two, it looks like digital wrinkles, and it's just like, guys, woof. For sure. <laughs> and they definitely put, like, liver spots on his hands and stuff. Oh my god, it's so bad. It's oh, so bad. It's disastrous. Through all of this awful shit, you know, true love carries through man and i really really that's the message that you need i've mentioned i feel bad for tom holland also sierra bravo who plays like his girlfriend emily throughout the whole thing also just looks so young like she looks even younger than holland in a way she's like you you two are like babies <laughs> and it's just like oh we're going through this the thick of it she's really good in it too like that, that's the thing they do put in good performances it's just they're so miscast they're both so, so ridiculously miscast to where, like I said, you know, you're supposed to believe that these two now have been together for over two years and now they're junkies and all this shit. And it's like they literally both look like if they just took a shower and cut their hair, they'd be fine. Like they look like they're like 14. Like it's it just they just try to be so emotionally manipulative in this movie that ultimately I came away from it not giving a fuck about anybody in it like i did not give a fuck about any of the characters look and what my favorite thing is too i know heroin dealers are like villains and stuff in real life because you know it's it's heroin it's a drug that kills people but the, the fucking one guy is like a super villain <laughs> like black in his car yes like he's a he's literally a super villain he's got like half a skull tattooed on his face and you barely see him and he's got this car with all these he looks like a goddamn like Fat Dracula driving around. He looks like he could have just been out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, unfortunately. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> he, like, he he's, like, he's Crossbones' like, evil brother come back for revenge after yeah, Civil yeah, War. Yeah, you're right. He's, dude, it's so dumb. And honestly, it's so overtly long, too. Yeah, it's about two hours, 25 it's, minutes or so. Oh, they could have taken 40 minutes out of this easily. There is so much padding, especially when you get to the back third. 
it's just get the fuck get this over with especially because like they literally segmented into parts which by i believe was like part four or five when that popped up i'm just like oh my fucking god <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm like oh no I'm like still <laughs> definitely a movie where you you pull up the the time bar just like oh god we have like another hour of this left i literally did that i paused it i'm like all right i'm just gonna get up make something to eat real quick i probably don't have much longer so i better pause it before it's over one hour 15 minutes left I'm like, oh, fuck me, man. Like, what is... Come on. And then, yo, talking about facial hair. All right. What was with Thomas Lennon? (laughs) Like, what the fuck? And then he's he's credited as playing his dad. The the credits are very confusing, too, because the big thing is, like, so much of the stylistic thing with the Roosters as well is that they have it from the perspective of his... The name of Tom Holland's character is supposed to be Cherry. Um, which, uh, one is such, like, a dumb title and such a dumb character name. And also they do the title drop where he kind of gets the idea of just, like, oh, it looks like you dropped your cherry yeah. during the war battle bit. Dumb. Um, but there's so many times where, like, they'll ha- cut to somebody and they'll their little thing on their desk will say, like, Doctor Whomever. Or when they do go to the bank, it says, like, Bank Fucks America, this kind of thing. And yeah. so much of, like, there's so much of Tom Holland's narration that's about him kind of, like, being... Uh, like above it all and like oh i'm getting this purple heart i didn't do anything i only survived which by the way they drop that whole thing mm-hmm. like he he does it in the, in the beginning until he gets out of the army and then they basically don't do it again except for one scene where he's robbing a bank right and that's it but there's even then there's still a lot of like him talking to the camera and the narration all this stuff it's so obnoxious in a way that it feels like it wants to be like oh we're doing a interesting uh and analysis of this character and his worldview and really it just feels like this is some fucking catcher in the rye fan fiction quite frankly. Oh, do you, yeah, a thousand percent. <laughs> and the thing is, look, I'm not a veteran. I was, I never served. Right. You know, and it, we all know that veterans do go through a lot of hardships when they get out and when they, when they're come home and stuff, when their deployment ends. and everything. Right. Like Nico Walker, who wrote the novel and everything. And I'm sure there's a like lot Nico of Nico like, Walker yeah, who right. wrote the novel. Sure. A hundred percent. But this just, I mean, it's just a mean, ugly, spiteful movie. And it trivializes a lot of, like, those concerns we're talking about. Like, I kind of mentioned yeah. A Born on the Fourth of July. That's at least an actual, thoughtful look at what a veteran coming back from all of that is, like, actually experiencing. This, because it's so over-stylized, it just feels like there's really... It's trivializing all the important stuff. Let's put it this way. I did not expect this movie to go in certain ways it did, because I really didn't know much about it. I didn't look up much about it, and then I kind of wanted to go in cold. One thing, the trailers are completely tonally different than what the movie is. The trailers almost make it look like it might be a little bit of a comedy in some parts and everything. It is definitely not. But, you know, he's addicted to Oxycontins and shit like that. And she's yelling at him and screaming at him in the bathtub and everything. And then, like, literally five minutes later, they're both on heroin now. And I'm like, what is going on? How, how did this jump happen? I mean, there's so many jumps, though, at the same time. Like, even the trailers trying to sell is, I think, just more concerned. Like, we don't know how to quite sell this because it jumps so many different genres where it's like, oh, look, we're like a small, intimate, uh, you know, romance movie in college. Eventually it goes to like, oh, when we're in the middle of uh, basic training, it becomes Full Metal Jacket. And it becomes like the Hurt Locker when they're in the middle of the war battlefield. And then a lot of it, like that back half when they're on drugs is so much like, oh, it's like Sid and Nancy. So many of these like living in the filth of these like people like who are strung out and all this other shit. It's like just shifts so many times because I think it's it's like we talked about. It's the Russo's trying so hard to be taken seriously by like, look, we can do all these different things. It's like, why don't you just pick one 
genre and actually dedicate yourself to it or one stylistic choice as opposed to just doing everything it makes every single one of your choices feel like it doesn't matter when you're just switching like that constantly and you know there's actually a part in the movie that really sort of sums up exactly what you just said where they just don't really eh, they're just half-assed and everything when the one guy the drug dealer the kid from midsummer pills and coke or whatever yeah jack rayner uh we never found out how he got shot doesn't matter what? It's such a weird thing, yeah, where, like, he's in the middle of the bank robbery, and then he leaves, and then they're, like, trying to get away, and then about five minutes later they find him, and he's apparently been shot, I guess, by the police is the implication. I don't know, it's still just poorly put together, and it's like they have to dump his body, and there's no real consequences to that? There's no consequences. Yeah, especially when, like, he... I know Nico, Nico Walker apparently did go to jail and everything for robbing several banks, but it's just, like... This guy's so reckless, he shows his face all the time, and no one's really caught him after so many times he's robbed fucking banks, he's still in the same goddamn town, he's even moved different towns. Yeah, I know. He lives in the same house, drives his own vehicles and shit to rob these banks, wears his own clothes, and it's young little Tom Holland. Nobody else looks like this kid. At least that's old enough to be robbing banks, unless, you know, they start campus in high schools, and maybe you'll find him, or someone who looks like him, but it's just... It's a stupid movie. To go back to Tom Holland, actually, I want to, like, have a bit more of a discussion, because Holland, he'd been acting as a child in other things, like The Impossible, the Ewan McGregor movie. He was the little kid of uh, the Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts, and obviously he became Spider-Man, and we all fell in love with him in Civil War and all these other, like, Spider-Man movies. He's been a very popular Spider-Man. I think he, quite frankly, is going to have such a struggle to really progress out of the MCU. Or, like, just do something oh. different. Because I think he's a very talented in those parts, like, in the, in the Spider-Man stuff and some other things. But between, like, this and Chaos Walking, which was, like, this infamous movie that got delayed so long and was reshot several times and just came out to nothing <laughs> during the pandemic. And then, and then Uncharted coming. Eventually. I mean, that's, oh, an, that's another one where it's just like, maybe, who knows, uh, you know, he's going to be there with Mark Wahlberg, who was supposed to be the main character at a certain point. Like was the other netflix one the devil all the time or something that, like that that one came out during the pandemic as well one of those that was like briefly popular and then left and for the record a uh, very bad movie did not like it whatsoever um what sticks out is robert no. pattinson going full like king of the hill character <laughs> and he's like the best part of that movie <laughs> it's really fun but um otherwise yeah i just don't know like what how do you think this guy can progress forward because i think he's gonna have more of like between other spider-men I think he's going to have more of the Tobey Maguire thing where, like, he'll be in some things but kind of fizzle. As opposed to Andrew Garfield, who took the failure of those movies and just, like, I'm going to do weird shit. Yeah, I'm doing just weird shit and be really good in it. Yeah, uh, or even, like, someone you mentioned already, even Robert Pattinson, who, you know, post-Twilight kind of did a bunch of junk. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this guy's great. Because then he's like, no, I'm just going to do cool shit. I don't see Tom Holland being able to do that. It's not that he's not talented. I do think he's really talented. Uh, I just don't see him having sort of the natural gravitas to, to do other types of work other than like sort of the, the peppy guy and stuff. I, I mean, could he probably, but I just don't think it's going to work out for him. I don't think he's going to get these roles. And especially because everything he's done, except for the Marvel work, has bombed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all been critically sort of destroyed and they've been bombs and just delays after delays. And I just don't see it working for him, unfortunately. I think that's the thing. He has sort of this, the, the curse of like a young DiCaprio when especially he tried to like really bounce off being the teen idol. And it was just like, no, you still look like a kid in like adult clothing, even though DiCaprio is a much better actor. I think Holland's yes. going to have a very similar problem 
with just like being able to really go for especially when like he's trying to meet, balance off like there's some pretty good people who are able to kind of be that kind of scummy like i would say one of the few people who i think is well cast and i wish there was more of is uh, james gandolfini's son michael gandolfini as his cousin yeah. joe dude who's like actually pretty good whenever they give him something to do and he's like very like up, like slimy and intimidating way it's like man you could be like your dad if you if you keep this up um but yeah it just feels like anytime he's against like them or the the weird connecting factor of our movie is damon wayans jr what was the point of that uh i don't he plays like a drill sergeant so i just kept thinking like are you stepping into your dad's major pain shoes yeah and he does it for one scene for one scene like that's the thing like at least he has a confidence though as opposed to i tom holland looks like he is i i don't know if i quite agree with you that he it's a good performance because it's not just the miscasting i just think he looks terrified the entire time in a way that just feels like oh it's like a baby bird put into like weird clothing (laughs) and just like let this baby bird go free i think that might be what they're trying to say though Mm mm-hmm you know, even the point, even there's even the scene where he's like, you know, oh, it just feels like I'm playing soldier, and they show him in like big clothes and all that stuff. I think that's basically what they're getting at this movie that this kid was, you know, in no way should have been, you know, a combat medic and he couldn't handle it. And look what happened to this poor, you know, basically innocent kid. And look what's happened to him now, this poor, scared little mm-hmm. child. And now he's a horrible, degenerate, you know, thief and a drug addict and oh look what happens to you know people in the military and it's like yeah that does happen to some people not all people first of all second of all the thing is if this movie's not even and i know it sounds crazy but stick with me here it's not even heavy-handed enough this movie like i could see if it was super heavy-handed like jarhead was back in the day and stuff like that it's not even that this movie just like you said, it just mixes all these different genres and styles and everything. And it's just, eh, go along for the ride. And no, like your message isn't even clear what you're trying to say. And yet I'm watching it for two and a half fucking hours. Like, what are you trying to tell me here? Cause you could make a heavy handed version. It's like, I keep pointing this movie up, but like a born on the 4th of July talks about a lot yeah, of these yeah. things. It even has like, they, they do that with like, Oh, we're going to get Tom Cruise in the eighties, like beautiful, like young, attractive Tom Cruise and turn him into, you know, what, the military like churns out with like veterans in that case that's a more believable thing because there's an actual solid vision of like we go from idyllic like pre-vietnam like suburbia that he lived in into like the post-vietnam era where everyone's spitting on him as opposed to actually blaming the system that totally destroyed him like this movie's trying to do that but it's trying to do it through all these stylistic flourishes as opposed to any kind of soul it's not handled well i mean at all it's almost like they got this like you said, like something like Born in the Fourth of July, this this real sort of like poignant look at what the military, what the government does to these people who enlist and Kyle kind of just spits them out and forgets about them. But it's almost handled with like kids gloves. To where it's like, well, we don't really want to get into it too much, but look how look how cool this red filter is. Like, okay, well, great. Yeah, it, it, it's this weird thing when you especially get, like, the Russos to direct it. It sort of turns this, like, this story that has a lot of potential and palpable uh, kind of, like, tragedy and emotion to it. And they give it all of, like, the kind of middling um, sort of conflict of, like, a Captain America Civil War. Where it's just like, oh, there's, like, so much potential to this, like, conflict. But really, it's just kind of like, eh, it's more about, like, is this kind of cool and fun? We don't really care about the actual, like character battling of sorts in this case like a more emotional battle there's like nothing there there's no real heart to it but tom holland comes out of prison as a damn near 40 year old man in a pea coat and a mustache so oh yeah 
I'll never get over how that's their final fucking shot. <laughs> Dude, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. You know, you gotta post it on Twitter. Just that. Oh, it's gonna be shot. the image. Like, I'll have the two images of, like, one from Barb and Star and one from Cherry. It's gonna be that. For sure, it's gonna be that. Uh, but you know what? Let's, we're gonna talk about a good movie in a second. Let's go and do final thoughts, Adam, on Cherry. What's your cherry on top for Cherry? Uh, it's It's overly long. It's boring. It doesn't commit to anything it's trying to really do. Um, it, it's just, it's completely miscast pretty much all around for the most part. There are a couple, you know, examples of really good character actors in it. Like you mentioned Gandolfini's son and things like that. But uh, overall, it's just, it's a movie that's trying to make you feel bad and trying to make you depressed and trying to really make you take a look at inside and how you feel about, you know, these sort of issues and everything. And it just fails miserably. I was depressed because I watched it, not because of the movie. Like it, it's, it, it's so long and boring and dull and drab uh, and a movie that's filled with, you know, stylistic choices and everything. That's probably the worst sort of compliment you can give it with everything they try to do and all the different camera tricks. It's still boring and drab looking. It, it's just, it, nah, fuck this movie. I love that it's so, like, stylized in a very dumb way that the initial, like, posters were brought out by Variety. They were posted, and it was, like, yeah. misprinted where it looked like Chirk, right? And everyone was yep. like, what the fuck is this? But in retrospect, it kind of fits the movie because, like, it's so weirdly stylized and stupid that you're just like, what are you trying to say to me? Like, it, it's, it's weirdly fitting that they had that misprint because this movie is such a, like you mentioned, very poor attempt at trying to get to, like, real emotional like places and trying to like be a like comment on so much about like oh the like the the Russo brothers and their like these motherfuckers especially whenever they're interviewed for like whether it's Endgame and talking about all sorts of bullshit that's just like I don't care about your other story things your movie was great stop talking about it and ruining it or with this movie where they're just like oh it's really about the opioid epidemic and it's like really guys it's not really that much about the opioid epidemic at all because <laughs> that's like one sliver of this weird mess of a movie there's so much of a mess it just feels like they don't know what they're aiming for and because of that it really affects me like a poor tom holland or sierra bravo anyone else in this cast who's just like i don't know what where i'm supposed to really go here to the point where it's just like i think they need to just stop directing movies for a bit and maybe just stick to being a producer because like i think that's what they're very talented at it's just kind of like corralling people basically <laughs> and giving like everybody a fair shake as opposed to in this case it just feels like it's like i mentioned it's so amateurish in a way it just feels like you're just trying to test out different stylistic things you can do that you weren't able to do with marvel instead of doing something like that actually speaks to any of these interesting ideas you're talking about it is definitely like one of the worst of the year for me i mean there's there's some contenders i've seen some pretty bad things but uh this is like very much bottom of the barrel crap I, I haven't seen a lot this year but this is definitely the worst one i've seen so far for sure yeah but um before we continue on to a good movie from this year let's hear a promo for an eso shaking you up right after ours we're the con guys coming to you straight from the nerdy heart of hollywood california we are your home for news opinions, and interviews from the world of Comic-Cons and fandoms, your ultimate insiders for all things All right, and we're going to turn the mood up. We're going to have a lot of smiles because we'll be talking about the comedy Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Hey, Barb. Yes, Star. You know what I just love? What? Movie trailers. <gasps> Me too! 
I like how they're little movies about another movie before a different movie. Sometimes I find myself watching a trailer for a movie while I'm watching a totally different movie. What? Me too! <laughs> Barb! What if we had a movie? What? <laughs> then we'd have to have a trailer. Oh, gosh. I can almost see our trailer now. I'm Star. Short for Starbra. I assume yours is Barbara. Nope. Just Barb. <laughs> Plain old Barb. Oh, she gives me bigger teeth. Love big teeth. She loves big teeth. Even if it's just two eyes on a bunch of teeth. It would be so nice. I'm Barb, and this is Star. Roll number again, please, sir. 611. 611? Oh, my. Barb. Oh, my gosh, she's 611. 611? We're in 124. <gasps> So, uh, Barb and Stargate of Vista Del Mar is a comedy that came out February 12th, 2021, um, mostly digitally. It was supposed to come out last summer in 2020, uh, but it ended up uh, going to, like, premium VOD because of the COVID pandemic. And it uh, is directed by Josh Greenbaum, who I found out mostly did documentaries before this. Like, he directed the documentary about the Dana Carvey show, The Too Funny to Fail, uh, which is a pretty good documentary on Hulu, I'd recommend. Um, but he, this is his first narrative feature, and it's written... And stars uh, both Kristen Wiig and Annie uh, Mulamalo, who uh, were both nominated uh, for Bridesmaids previously. Um, and obviously, Kristen Wiig was the star of that. Annie also appeared in the movie briefly. She's the lady on the plane who Kristen Wiig talks to, and she's just, like, super nervous and thinks that everyone's going to die. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, this is, uh, sort of a vehicle for them, and, uh, this is apparently based on characters they created when they were part of the Groundlings, the, the Barb and Star characters, who are really these two, like, middle-aged women who live in the middle of, um, I forgot, was it, like, Idaho, like, some Midwestern town? Yeah, some, yeah, I think it is Idaho. Right, right, and, um, they're, they're kind of, like, very, you know, they're, like, oh, don't you know, those kind of voices, and they, they're kind of, like, live very... A humdrum lives with a very positive but they realize like you know what we really need to like reinvent ourselves and go out there let's go to vista del mar which is this town in florida that they decide to have like a fun vacation at um and while they're there they intersect with a weird like austin powers villain uh, who's also played by Kristen wig and her plans to destroy vista del mar uh with the help of her um potential companion slash uh, one of a couple henchmen played by jamie dornan and uh, this is a movie I picked. I, I think it's very fun and lively and one of my favorites of the year. Adam, you hadn't seen it before. What do you think of Barb and Star Good Vista Del Mar? Um, you know, the thing about Barb and Star, uh, this movie is fucking nuts. <laughs> like, yep. it, is, it is nuts. Talk about, you know, in our last movie, how they don't really commit to anything. They commit to everything in this movie. Like, every little joke everything they don't if it works or not it doesn't matter because they just are full bore into it. it it is this i've never seen anything like this movie um it's pure just sort of chaotic just wonderful silly it, it's nuts i mean it's fucking nuts it, you know it, it Kristen Wiig and um, I'm sorry, what is her name? I always I, I have a hard time pronouncing it, so I forget it. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, we apologize if we mispronounce the name. It's um, Annie, and it's spelled M U M O L O. Um, uh, we'll we'll go with uh, Mamalo, I think. That's probably wrong, but whatever. Apologies to Andy, who I'm sure is a regular listener all the time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, Kristen Wiig and Mamalo, they're so good, and they have such fun chemistry, uh, not only with each other, but pretty much with anybody in the movie. But 
the MVP who oozes chemistry with absolutely every other person they interact with is Jamie Dornan. Jamie Dornan, this is like, I mean, it's not going to be because it's, it's this movie, but this should be a star-making turn for him. He's so fantastic in this movie. Not only has he got the looks and he's got the Irish accent and, you know, he can play a real good, capable romantic lead or I could see him kind of doing anything. But this dude is fucking fully committed to the silly, too. Like he is all about just going for it and doing whatever is thrown at him. I mean, guys. In the middle of the movie, there's a three and a half minute long music video (laughs) of his character. It's talking about, you know, seagulls wanting to hear them to hear his prayer and, you know, dipping my toes in the sand and flicking them. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, and then a lady comes out of nowhere and starts singing with him and she's yes. never to be seen in the movie again. Nope. Like, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. I think, like, the this thing that movie. sold me on this movie before I watched it was I read a review where someone described it as, it's a Muppet movie, but the humans are Muppets. And it's like, that's so accurate. <laughs> it's, it is a, it's a very silly, zany movie in the vein of, like, a Muppet movie or even a cartoon. It's a rare example of, like, a live-action movie trying to recreate a cartoonish sensibility and energy. And it accomplishes it so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it really, really does. And like I said, the, the two leads, they're so funny. And the hijinks they get into, and, you know, just the one-liners back and forth, like, oh, let's rub our braces together. Oh, there's a sharp, yep, rip the skin. Well, we just got to wear them down. <laughs> you know, just that they have, like, a lot of, like, this Paddington-style charm. Where the moment they enter yes. anybody's life, they're immediately just like, oh, I feel like so happy. <laughs> just having like you two people who are able to go through so much crap together and just like keep smiling and keep being like these fun Midwestern middle-aged ladies. It's so great to see them. And even, I think, I agree with you about to go back to Jamie Dornan, who I'd really only known from the Fifty Shades movies, which we talked about the first one ages ago on the show and how like those movies were like so dull about him trying to be like oh i'm sexy and mysterious and this movie he's so much more vulnerable in a really good way where he's trying so hard to woo the sharon fisherman character who is our villain of the movie he's also played by Kristen wig and i love he's really wants to have like some kind of romantic relationship with her and then he runs into star and starts having passionate chemistry with the other Kristen wig and you can see even on dornan's face like he's actually falling for her it feels like completely yes. legitimate. There's so many points where you're just like, oh, she's she's so adorable and sweet, and I just love being around her. It just it feels really sincere despite it being so fucking silly and stupid. Just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dumb, the whole thing. But that's what makes it so good. Like I said, they know it's stupid, they know it's silly, they know that it's just it's preposterous. The whole movie is preposterous. And they know it, and they're fully committed, and they play it straight up, and that's what makes it just magical. Dude, I mean, I laughed out loud several times. So I picked this intentionally because I knew, like, this is not a movie. This is a movie that Adam will immediately fall for. (laughs) Not only was it an Adam movie, I instantly told my wife about it and a couple other people, and they all watched it, and they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, what is this fucking movie? I'm like, I don't know, but it's, it's... Perfect. We should mention right from the beginning, it immediately hooks you with shout out to the young, uh, once again, apologies for mispronouncing his name, uh, Rain Doy, who plays Yo-Yo, is this little kid who um, is initially introduced on a bike on a paper route, singing along to the Barbra Streisand, Barry Gibb 
uh, guilty song, and it's so yep. fucking funny that he's so committed to it, and then it turns out he's one of the other henchmen for the evil Kristen Wiig villain character, and he's so fucking funny. Every time he shows up, he's this adorable little pudgy kid who I just love seeing every time. Just like instant, this kid is like comedy gold the moment he does anything with his face. Yeah, dude, and, and talk about that. I mean, I messaged you while watching that. Yes, right away. I'm like, all right, chubby little, like doesn't really give a shit newspaper boy singing along to guilty then pulls up to a tree in his laser scan boon <laughs> underground yep sort of james bond base i was like i'm sold and then i messaged you right away too i was like now wait a minute if this is a dream sequence it's still pretty funny but if they're really doing this and this might be the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life and they are really doing it <laughs> like i couldn't fucking believe it i could not believe because, you know, it's Kristen Wiig, so I'm like, oh, she's this is a dream of hers or something. No, it's there's a Bond villain plot going on at the same time <laughs> that intersects with these two, like, 40-year-old furniture salesmen from Idaho. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> but I will say, I don't know that this movie would have worked as well theatrically. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I think it's too bizarre and too crazy for it to really have made a huge splash at the box office. I really don't think it did. I think watching this at VOD or on Hulu is kind of the perfect way because people can find it that way. And it, it, I, it's only going to grow sort of in cult sort of notoriety. But I don't know that at the theater it would have worked. Well, I think that's the problem as well. It's just I don't think that's just an issue of this particular movie being as strange as it is. Because like, watching this has made me do realize just how much like theatrical comedy has been a dying genre for so much because like i think especially in like domestic areas like uh, americans don't want to watch comedies in the theater anymore it's a bummer unfortunately uh -huh. but like because there's been so few like it used to be like back when we were younger that like there would be a blockbuster comedy every summer and at this point that's yeah. like pretty much like died out like i think the last big one was like a good boys i think like pre-pandemic yeah, even that wasn't like I mean, by comparison, like, it nearly made $100 million, which for modern comedies is, like, a breakthrough, honestly. Cause, That's probably the last, like, really good one I've seen, too. Right, but, like, it's just a thing of, like, comedy is such, like, a dying theatrical genre, which is a bummer, especially for, I agree that I don't think this movie would have been necessarily that successful, but this is one of the most cinematic-looking comedies I've seen in ages. Like, the color That's correction, gorgeous. it's a gorgeous-looking, and I think that makes the jokes sell all the more. It's like, oh, this is bright, beautiful, candy-colored Vista Del Mar. Like, right from particularly the big thing where they go to the hotel, and there's the big musical number about how great the hotel is. And it's like them saying motel. It's like, oh, wait, that's next door across like two football fields of parking lot. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's so good. It's so lush colored. And I mean, it feels like what, you know, when whenever somebody might fantasize about a beach resort vacation, you know, the beautiful blue sky and blue water and, you know, the bright sand and all that. Like, that's what they did in this movie. That's what they showed you. It looks like a postcard. Like a hundred percent, it looks like they they literally just went into the brochure that they get, and it's so perfect and it's so funny and so well shot, and you know the good thing about it is as a comedy, you know you kind of want to be endeared to to the characters at least somewhat. Some comedies, you know, the mean spirited ones, they might still work a little bit, um, but dude, you're I mean you're instantly endeared to the main basically the main three leads in this. Um, I think they're they're great. Um, 
but to get on to sort of our interconnecting uh, thing, the Damon Wayne's Jr. thing, um, to me was the weakest point in the movie. I don't disagree. I think because um, his character is sort of this weird informant who keeps revealing stuff about himself. Um, and I think I don't think that joke works as well, but I admire Wayne's commitment to that bit. And I think he still has like some funny things. I think particularly once he like has like the fight with uh, Jamie Dornan on the beach, <laughs> it's like this really awkward tumble. And then they're like, uh, yeah. uh, well, tell me if you want to get something to eat afterward. <laughs> and then he goes into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> he has funny bits. I think that's the thing is, even there are jokes that don't work in this movie. I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie. But at the same right. time, even the jokes that don't work, there's a real commitment that I respect about everybody involved in the movie. To where it's just like, it fits the energy. It fits the vibe the movie's going for. Oh, dude, no, I completely agree. There's a lot of jokes, you know, that are kind of, nah, that wasn't necessarily the funniest. But because of their commitment to it and that they're really going to sell the whole thing, it makes it funny. It makes it work. It makes it more endearing, you know, because you still even get a chuckle out of the bad jokes because of how much they're into it and how much they're trying to sell it. Uh, it's just, I don't even know how to like describe this movie to somebody, really. Like you could say, oh yeah, it's about these two, you know, middle-aged ladies who go to Florida, like kind of how you did in the beginning, the the basic synopsis. But it doesn't cover anything. Like that is such a loose thing. To where if you tried, like, well, why do you think I'd like it? Uh, well, there's a music video in the middle of it, and uh, there's killer mosquitoes, and uh, paperboy James Bond Hedgeman, who's also driving a submarine. Um, you know, there's just a little bit of everything. Graphic sex scenes. <laughs> I mean, Very treasure. Which it was yeah, like such a great bit. Uh, with that's another great visual look, by the way. Just how like they're yeah. drifting off on the bar, <laughs> and the bartender's yeah. waving off to them. Um, it leads to the Titanic remix, which is so great. Oh, so <laughs> but I think that's the thing. Is like I would. I think the way that I was at least sold on it initially is the way to sell it to somebody. It's just like it's a live action movie that has the sensibilities of like a cartoon or a Muppet movie. It's incredibly silly and zany in a way that like that's not a vibe everybody works with i could i could see but if, like you know somebody who likes like a comedy that's willing to be silly it feels like it's a throwback to i mentioned austin powers earlier that kind of like character-based comedies that we don't get anymore like they were just like let's get a yeah, star sure. vehicle for a comedian and just have him do like a funny weird character it's like the exact polar opposite of something like a master of disguise what that's trying to go for it's like the exact yeah. polar opposite because <laughs> like this is funny and visually vibrant and you care about the characters along with the comedy and there's so many just like it's it's one of those kitchen sink kind of movies where like even if you don't like an immediate joke there's going to be like five different ones and you're going to like at least two or three of those probably <laughs> honestly is what, what i really appeal to like even where like you have like Kristen wig is obviously someone who could be just like kind of take over the movie but i love even like the barb character and her like side thing where she's like you know what i'm going to be adventurous and do weird shit on this trip like i'm going to learn how to surf I'm going to hang glide and I'm going to meet Tommy Bahama, <laughs> which is also yeah. great. <laughs> God bless Andy Garcia. <laughs> I, oh my God. That was the funniest <laughs> shit too. <laughs> Andy Garcia's Tommy Bahama. Oh my God. And he's like, Oh, you know, a, a fucking man of the man of the earth. He was hanging out in the jungle and shit. Um, Oh God. Yeah. He's dressed like the medicine man, Sean Connery. Uh, Two things, two bits I want to kind of touch on. I don't want to do them bit for bit, but two of my favorite bits. One is the rope. 
when they keep untying themselves from the fucking rope and Jamie Dornan's going through that whole monologue. And every time he looks back, they're in a completely different pose with the rope like completely over their heads. And he just is completely oblivious to what the hell's going on. So funny. And then uh, the scene on the plane where they start the whole thing about Trish. And it goes throughout the whole plane ride. And then even in the airport, they're still doing it. You know, and she said, no, skid cats, or I'm going to go out my way. So she jumped off the cliff and hit every rock. Like, and then for them to bring it back at the end of the movie. Yes. In the most ludicrous, ridiculous way possible. It's just, it's so funny and so smart. And like I said, and like you said too, they absolutely 100% commit to everything. Everything. No joke doesn't have a punchline. No, yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I would agree with that. I think two other bits I would want to spotlight with that are, um, one, uh, the bit where uh, Barb is, is, like, escapes out of their hotel room and just, like, mm-hmm. gliding along the pool and shit, and Kristen Wiig is, like, outside. <laughs> like, that's great. But also, it leads to, like, I think probably my favorite sort of, like, comedic set piece that, like, it's that speaks to everything that works about this movie is... Um, Barb initially ha- like encounters Jamie Dorn's like let's uh, go into your room and let's have a great sexual conversation after like they'd had like a weird three way together and it's like um, I, don't, I don't know I want to hide all my supervillain stuff how about we take a walk and they go through the walk where they like go underneath the bridge and all this other shit and they have ice cream and it's like okay well have a good night and then she goes back and turns out Star has left and goes to Jamie Dornan and they have the exact same shot for shot <laughs> fucking like ice cream and under the bridge both <laughs> <laughs> that just like it, it speaks to, like one the great like actual filmmaking of this which is like all oh, these shots match perfectly and two it's so fucking funny they repeat it verbatim even down to the spy camera <laughs> taking pictures <laughs> and then two the submarine thing with uh the yo-yo oh. character which is so great it's just like yes you gotta keep going straight make small movements keep pushing things and then like makes the dial up sound just like you're <laughs> all this shit like there's so many fun bits that like i said not they might not all work for you but it's just so committed to the bit it's like you know what i need commitment in my life and barb and sergey de Domar has that kind of commitment but to dumb bits and that's the kind of commitment i need in my life <laughs> you know right i agree and the thing is like you said not every bit works but it's bit after bit after bit after bit and it, not in sort of, a, you know, an offensive way like you do see in some movies, like you even brought up Master Disguise, where it's constant bit after bit, but it's just like grating because it doesn't serve the story. It doesn't push the story along or anything. And this movie has a very thin story. It really does. But the, the, the story is the bits. The story is the scenarios that happens and the shenanigans these two sort of clueless women get themselves into. And it's just it's propelled forward like I said, by the preposterity of it all. This movie is ridiculous, dude. It is absolutely ridiculous. It, sh- it should not work. It should not work. And in less capable hands with less capable stars, I'd argue it wouldn't. Right, but at the same time, also, a big credit to Kristen Wiig, who, like, on SNL, I was always kind of, like, hit or miss on Kristen Wiig, because sometimes she would, my biggest problem with some of her sketches, especially her recurring characters, would be it would just, like, stop a show dead just have her do like gilly or some of these other characters yeah. that just like aren't nearly as funny and it would always work so much better when she was part of like a big group sketch 
where she was just like one ingredient. And I think her movies have shown that she can be like that kind of generous star and writer where like with bridesmaids and even this, like she like is able to be like so funny, like she can be, but at the same time, she doesn't hog up the screen time. It's also about, you know, Mamalo or Dornan or everybody else, even playing two characters. She doesn't like really diverge the attention to her in an egocentric way at all. And completely different characters and almost unrecognizable as the villain. Almost. Uh, and then, yeah, she's completely, she plays them completely different on both opposite ends of the just batshit crazy spectrum. And uh, she's, she excels in both. And yeah, I completely agree. She's so much better when she has other like-minded people to bounce off of. Because mm-hmm. um, as, as we've seen, you know, like we said with Bridesmaids or this, oh, yeah, she's so good in this movie. Oh my God. And what a capable and good comedy writer she is. Like the, this is just, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> for two people to sit down and come up with this and fully commit to having it made and starring in it and everything. It's just, it's, it's, it's just impressive really is what it is. Well, Adam, I mean, those sound like pretty good final thoughts. Unless you have anything to add about Barman starting to Vistel Del Mar. I mean, seagull on a tire. Can you hear my prayer? Seagulls in a group. Can you hear my prayer? <laughs> it's just fucking funny as shit. Uh, no, this is just a, a really great movie. It's a really good sort of gem you can discover on Hulu or streaming or wherever you want to. And I can't think of anybody who would watch this movie and, and not enjoy themselves in some capacity. I'd be really amazed if someone watched this like that. I fucking hate this movie. Like, I can't see that happening. Right, I, I'll say this much. I could see somebody maybe not liking this movie, but I could see somebody at least hopefully giving it a try and respecting the gumption to be what it is i think even if you don't like love it i think you'll have enough laughs where it's just like man they're really committed and there's enough fun things to where i'd say like especially on a hulu i think you could at least have some amount of fun with it not maybe consistently but there's just like so many weird things where there's a joke i think for everybody like even if you don't like um some of the stuff barb and star do there's also just random characters like we even talk about uh morgan freeman's the crab <laughs> it's just uh, it's just this crab that sounds like morgan freeman <laughs> For no reason. <laughs> it's the puppet. It's so good. I think that's the thing is, it's a movie that really respects, I think, the idea that throwing everything, including the kitchen sink and seeing what sticks, but still sticking to their, at least an our overall idea, which is like we're making a very pleasant, very positive, very fun comedy, where even like, so there's some worries where like, you know, with like some of the, uh, like, say the little yo-yo character, I was worried, like, oh, is this just going to be, like, say, an Asian stereotype? And no, it's just, like, he's a really fun, bouncy character. There's no, like, even with our villains, there's in weird empathy toward everybody in the cast. Even, like, our asshole characters have some kind of humanity to them that makes it, like, so joyous to watch. It has, like I said, it has a lot of the same charm of a Paddington movie, where you're watching, and it's just, like, this is very silly, this is very, like, over-the-top, but it's, like, so genuine in a way that's like makes it so consistently fun over the course of that hour 45 minutes i think it's very good it wasn't my favorite movie of the year but it's in sort of like a top five area and i agree i think it's very rewatchable and i think i would definitely recommend watching it with a group of friends because the second time i watched it i did watch it with a group of friends and it was such a charming fun time and even some people who were like i don't think every joke works but i respect the weird wavelength the movie is going on and i think you know I would at least say give it a chance. It might not be your thing, but I think you at least have some kind of fun with Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. But now, Adam, before we go to our next segment, uh, here is a message from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. 
Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Alright everybody, now is the time in the show where we do the double review, where basically every week Adam and I bring up uh, the best and worst possible double feature from uh, the sort of topic that we're doing. So Adam has two good and two bad movies from 2021, and I also have two good and bad ones to both recommend you see, and other ones uh, we recommend you don't avoid, just completely. So Adam, uh, go ahead and go first. What are your uh, two films that are good and the two films that are bad okay now like i said before i haven't seen a lot this year but there have definitely been some standouts in in both categories as far as good and bad uh for good i have another movie that i think really sort of fits the idea of like just a feel-good movie with a lot of heart a lot of bits in it that some of them don't always work but you know most do and it's just kind of you, you when it's over you feel good and uh it's the animated uh netflix mitchell's versus the machines one of my favorite movies of the year still um i absolutely adore this movie i think it's just full of heart and maybe being a father to a little girl might you know probably adds a little bit to it and uh it's just it's fantastic it, it's it's just really really sweet my second one is uh just a perplexing movie that it works with the cast it has uh especially and that's the bob odenkirk action comedy nobody i can't believe this movie is works on as many levels as it does uh it, like i said especially with bob odenkirk as sort of your main heavy but he's completely believable in it like i believe he's the baddest motherfucker alive and it, it's crazy it's bob odenkirk for mr show like how does this work and the rizza is his brother what like it, it's just I don't understand why it's so successful, but it's just, it's got something to it that I can't even put my finger on. And it might be sort of the absurdity of it all that, you know, this is like basically John Wick with Bob Odenkirk. And it's just super fun, super exciting, great action, great needle drops. It's just, it's a, I highly, highly recommend it for anybody who thought it looked dumb. Uh, I, you got to see it. It's one of my, also one of my favorite movies of the year. And then for my bad movies, um, I have two sequels. Uh, one of them was an Amazon Prime original uh, that came out way too late and relied way too much on basically copying every joke from the original um, to a lesser degree and completely unfunny degree and a neutered uh, version of them all. And that is the coming to, to America. Um, it's just, it is dreadful. It's sort of depressing to watch. And especially when you find out like Ryan Coogler did a script of it and, and it was turned down in favor of whatever the fuck this is. Uh, it, it's just nothing in this movie works. And for a comedy to not even get a chuckle of sort of how bad it is out of it, it it's just, it's a death nail for me. Um, I said earlier, Cherry might be the worst movie I've seen this year. I take that back. It is coming to America. It, it was abysmal and just such a slog to get through. And then uh, 
my other one is a movie I actually just recently watched like two days ago. And I was kind of excited for it because I've seen them all and I, I, I like them to varying levels, of course. But uh, just the idea of the star, again, almost like a nobody. But, you know, uh, Chris Rock, one of the biggest comedians ever, wrote and produced a, a Saw movie? Like, what is this going to be? And uh, I'll tell you what it is. It's dog shit. It's, uh, it's boring. It's just bland looking. The worst fake facial hair I, I've seen in a long time. Uh, Samuel Jackson's mustache and Chris Rock's sharpie on goatee is it's I mean it's laughable it, I laughed more at this movie than anything I mean that's the voice you're gonna go with for the new jigsaw character he sounds like a muppet well detective you see truly you're not I'm like what are we doing here and and just the idea that jigsaw doesn't target cops really have you seen the first eight movies because that's kind of all that happens. Including in director Darren Lynn Bousman, who made Saw 2, which is about a cop being targeted. Which is about a cop! <laughs> and 4, which is about a cop! Also directed by Darren Lynn Bousman. <laughs> also directed by Darren Lynn Bousman. What the fuck? This movie, is it's terrible. And it makes such dumb decisions. And they try to, like... Oh, is it Samuel Jackson or is it this guy? Is it his ex-partner? And ultimately, I don't give a shit. And the the reveal is even worse. It's so dumb. This, I mean, it's got nothing going for it. It's not exciting. The score is terrible. You finally get the saw like theme at the very end, and it's muted. It's just what a bad, bad movie. Um. Well, I have seen. Um, all of your movies. It's interesting, actually. Two of your movies, of your four total, were the first two movies I saw back in the theater with Nobody and uh, Spiral. I will say Nobody was the first one, and I'm glad it was, because that was such a great welcome back to theaters. <laughs> it's just like, I agree. I think the movie's very fun. And I think even for, like, you mentioned the Mr. Show element of it, but even for someone who also knows Bob Odenkir for, like, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, where he's gone a bit more dramatic, but it's like, can you really be an action star? There is a whole sequence on a bus that shows you exactly how Bob Odenkirk could do that, where it's like, no, he actually trained. You can tell, like, he actually committed to, once again, this particular premise, and he is a genuine badass. I have some issues with that movie, especially toward the ending, uh, but I, I definitely agree that I think it's a really fun time. I think particularly you mentioned, like, Riz as his brother and also Christopher Lloyd as his father. It's, like, the first really good Christopher Lloyd thing I've seen in so long. I was so happy <laughs> with particularly the ending bit of that. Stellar. Um, and then, yeah, Spiral, I agree, is really terrible. Um, I would say it's not the worst Saw movie. I think that's the thing is it's at least not the worst because I think it's trying to do a few different things. But I agree that I th particularly with the reveal, which uh, I guess we won't spoil here, but I'll just say it becomes plainly obvious because the way the movie's directed it shows you certain things about other people who might be suspects, except for that person. Well, a thousand percent, you know, and not just, I'm not, we're not going to go out and say who, who it is, but it's the only suspect that's sort of demise is not shown. And you're supposed to be like, Oh no. Like, it's just so fucking stupid. It's, it's, it's quite stupid there. Um, and then with your other two, I agree coming to America was such a massive disappointment, especially considering we talked about Eddie Murphy earlier this year because of that movie. And it was from Craig Brewer, who also made uh, Dolomite Is My Name, which we both loved so much. 
and yes. is such like a stark contrast to go to that movie, which compared to Dolomite is my name, which is like, oh my God, like it looks so great and everyone's so committed. It is, I agree, such a sad affair and it looks like dog shit. It was supposed to be for theaters, but it looks like it was made to be dumped to streaming. It looks about that bad. And also just like some very sad use of like, we loved Wesley Snipes and Dolomite. And this movie wow. is just like a really one note back and forth. Like he's one of the few new characters and just feels like, oh, this is your new material. And you're so, like, ashamed of it. You have to, like, recycle all these old bits where everybody oh. comes back. Don't forget about the Arsenio Hall witch doctor character. That's new. Right. I mean, that's also new and such a great oh. character we all loved, clearly. Um, not at all. On, on every conceivable level. But my biggest problem with that movie is there's a point where he talks to his wife from the first movie who comes back. And he's so surprised about, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you've been with other men before me. It's like, motherfucker, the plot of the first movie is that you find out she's engaged just like fucking Eric LaSalle. You forgot that part of the movie? <laughs> what the fuck? Right, no, but instead they give you a really, really piss-poor DH sex scene with him and Leslie Jones. Oh, that has like a lot of weird implied like rape stuff and drugging and all that other yeah. shit? Yeah. Um, and then Mitchell's vs. Machines, I did like... I wasn't as hot on it, but I, I think because the internet culture stuff, I think, felt a lot more pandering, I think. And it didn't, like, like there were literally points where they just cut to memes and shit like that that I wasn't as big a fan of. Uh, but I love the animation style, and there's a lot of, like, fun, like, character dynamics and stuff. I, I do, I did quite enjoy that movie, but I, I have the hot take of, I don't think it's one of the best of the year, necessarily. But it's quite enjoyable. But I think it's time I moved on to my picks. Uh, so I'll start with... Uh, my two good are two smaller movies that have been uh, streaming on VOD to some extent. I have first um, a movie called Shiva Baby, which is a movie about um, this woman, this bisexual uh, college student, who has to go to a funeral with her family of a family friend. And it it's more of like a comedy, especially with the initial way it starts. But they go to the wake after this funeral, and there's a weird tension that comes up where both her ex-girlfriend and also the married man who she's having an affair with are both at the wake at the same time. And it is this weird thing where it's a very funny movie. There's all sorts of like funny, like especially like humor about being around your relatives, and it's a very uh, Jewish family. There's such a huge tension at the same time that it almost feels like it's a like sitcom episode crossed with a horror movie. <laughs> it's such a weird, interesting, unique movie. I'd recommend to anybody. It has like a lot of stellar laughs, but also just like weird, like social situation chills at the same time. And it's all within 77 minutes. It's a very short movie <laughs> that I would firmly recommend to anybody out there. Um, and then the other one is a horror comedy that is also, um, that is based around a very silly premise called slacks, which is on shutter. And the basic premise is this very trendy store is getting a new pair of jeans on the market and everyone's preparing for it. They have the whole store on lockdown so everybody can like um, get the store ready in time for like the big reveal. And the jeans, as it turns out, are alive and eat human beings. Now, I know that sounds fucking silly and the movie knows it's very silly, but at the same time, there are a lot of really good kills in it. I like all of the actors and the characters a lot. It has some interesting themes, even about like 
capitalism and how like sort of like these stores in particular like these clothing brands tend to abuse their workers in other countries she like that it surprisingly has like a lot of interesting commentary that i wouldn't have expected and the it's a very clearly low budget movie but they genuinely convince you these genes are alive it is like stunning that they're able to do it as well as they are um and also very short 76 minutes long and so that's Slax spelled S-L-A-X-X is, is surprisingly oh, okay. a very good movie. And then for my bad, I have two um, movies actually from Netflix that um, one was very bad in a way that it was even worse than I kind of expected. And the other one was a real disappointment that just came out actually also a few days ago. Uh, for the really bad one, it is Malcolm and Marie which is a movie that stars John David Washington and Zendaya, two very talented people. Um, and it's a movie that was made during COVID. And the entire premise of it is they are, well, he's the director and she is a star who he is um, having a relationship with. And they both come back to his house after a premiere of his movie. And the entire movie is sort of like a who's free Virginia Woolf style, like play kind of thing where they're like, having conversations back and forth with each other and they're he's so enraged about the reviews that his movie has gotten and it's made by sam levinson who is one the son of barry levinson and two is a guy who's like very famous right now for euphoria which also stars uh, zendaya on hbo and i found this movie to be kind of insufferable in a way that's so much of like oh it's very inside hollywood where this is his second film and his first film assassination nation which i haven't seen but I know has gotten very polarizing reviews and it feels so much of just like, Oh, this is just an exercise in you trying to vent about like all the reviews your movie got. And it's this really frustrating movie where the actors are really good. It's shot beautifully. It's in black and white and the cinematography is gorgeous, but it's all this ego exercise of this director, just trying to really shout about so much, especially they bring like some racial implications into that. And Sam Levinson spoilers, not a black guy but he has this black actor trying to kind of like speak about people commenting on race and just like, dude, what the fuck are you even doing? It is dog shit. And it is such like an insufferable mess that wastes a lot of great talent. And then the other bad one is one that kind of fits sort of like with the nobody in terms of like, it kind of has the appeal of like a John Wick movie, but imagine a John Wick movie where they really cared about the lore more than the action sequences. And that's the problem with gunpowder milkshake which uh, has a really talented cast. Karen Gillan's in it, Lena Headey, um, and they play like an assassin mother and daughter who the mother leaves very early on. And so Karen Gillan's become like a hitman assassin for Paul Giamatti, who's also in there. And there's a whole other thing where like her sort of family of assassins involves, uh, of the adopted family of sorts, is, involves like Angela Bassett and Michelle Yeoh and Carla Gugino, who work at like a library. And it's like, oh, this sounds like a lot of fun. And the action sequences are very so-so. There's a lot of, like, really poorly done action bits, and there's some stuff that's kind of fun, but it feels like it's so secondary to so much of, like, let's be quirky about being, like, oh, like, they meet at a diner, and they talk to the waitress about, like, oh, you want me to uh, lighten your load? And they take the guns away, like, it's a neutral space, and then the at the library, it's like, oh, you want to check out a book? Happened at Jane Austen. It's, like, the small book that has, like, oh, it's, like, a gun in it. And also, this shit, it's so cutesy. In a way, it just feels like it really just slows down the whole thing and it looks it looks very gorgeous and the actresses are all committed but at the same time it's a real disappointment not just because of how good that cast is but also even the director i apologize if i forgot his name but he's an israeli director who did big bad wolves 
from a few years ago, which is a great underrated kind of like Tarantino style thriller that like had a lot of promise. And this is his follow up film so many years later. And it is so dull. And it's so just like it's someone, like I said, watching a John Wick movie and getting the complete wrong idea. It's the antithesis to a nobody on every level. Well, uh, <laughs> big shocker. I haven't seen any of those. I remember hearing just abysmal things about that Malcolm and Marie movie, probably from you. Uh, but I do remember just people just bombing that movie because it sounds pretentious as fuck, too. Like, and I just, I, I get, you know. I don't really want to watch a pretentious movie about the plight of a, a Hollywood director. Like, I don't give a fuck. And that's a real bummer about Gunpowder Milkshake. I mean, talk about just having a stellar cast and apparently just blowing it. I mean, that really, really sucks. Because I do agree with you about Big Bad Wolves as well. Uh, that's a criminally underseen sort of gem from whenever it came out, like 2018 or 2017. No, that was like 2013. That's the thing. It's been such a gap since he Holy did Holy shit, yeah. that was that long ago. I know. Wow. Uh, Chris, by the way, the dead director, who I apologize, I'm going to probably fuck up his name that I just found here, is uh, Navot Papashato. Apologies once why again. Would even, why would you even try? I, I, um. I, don't know. I just wanted to put it out there. Once again, sir, really like Big Bad Wolves. Uh, very disappointed by Gunpowder Milkshake. <laughs> Yeah, and both your good ones I, I definitely want to see. In fact, to the point where I might actually watch Slacks tonight. Because uh, you had recommended it, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Well, I got a little bit of free time tonight, so maybe that's what I'll do. And once again, it's only um, 76 super- minutes long, baby. Yeah, right. So that's right up my alley. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, both your bad ones sound bad, sound atrocious, and I'm really sort of interested in both of your good. So good for you uh well thank you all for listening to all that we also want to thank some other people who uh contributed to the show like chris oliver who did the intro and outro music used for our show listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com thanks to christian thor lally for the great artwork that we have for our show you can follow him at night of water that's night with a k underscore of underscore water on twitter and he has a few other places where he posts art for all the great artwork he does besides our great logo and also thanks to our patreon subscribers patreon.com slash pod where for just one dollar a month you get to uh, do stuff like listen to bonus podcasts like we mentioned on the edge of relevance where we've covered some recent movies like black widow fast nine a uh, bunch of stuff uh since around march where we the first one we did was the Zack Snyder justice league we've been covering a lot of big uh, streaming and theatrical releases that have come out this year um but also uh we'll be having some interesting other bonus content uh, like uh, we'll be doing <laughs> Telebillion is what we are going to call it, uh, where um, basically Adam and I are going to watch a TV show that the other one recommended to them, uh, where Adam's going to watch uh, Gravity Falls and I'm going to watch Barry. And uh, we'll be talking back and forth about uh, our first viewings of that and why the other one really likes the show. But also, like I said, you get to vote in polls for topics we cover. This week, uh, we're going to put it up to our patrons to discuss which year from the 2000s we cover movies from. So that area between uh, 2000 and 2009, um, and these choices are between the year 2001 and 2008. One from beginning of the decade, one from the end of the decade. Yeah, I'm good with either on those. Usually, you know, when we come up with these polls, I want to sway one way or the other. Uh, that one, I'm good with either. They're two very good film years. We'll be yeah, for sure. to talk about one of them. Um, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. 
Uh, and also we uh, would recommend you like send any feedback to us there or at doubleedgedipplebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And if you can't support us monthly for just $1 a month on the Patreon, uh, you could also help us out by buying merchandise with our logo on at the ESOT Public Store. There'll be a link in the description for that where you can buy a shirt or a mug or any sort of other things with our great logo pasted on there. Um, so it would really help us out because we get a f- bit of a kickback. So what should they do, Adam? Seagulls on the beach, will you buy our merch? Ah, see, well, change it up a bit. Yeah. Hey, why not? Why not? Sure, especially because you were so crestfallen after doing it for so long. Why not? Why not just change it up a bit every time I suggest you do something like that? Let's let's make that a thing. Let's make let's let's make right. fetch happen. Yeah. Uh, but for uh, more of my individual antics, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at Napa Who's Tommy. Uh, and also I do some writing at both MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at uh, film-cred.com. Yes, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. It's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Or on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. I know uh, for synergy reasons that I should just have them all be the same, but I'm not paying for a pro letterbox account, so eat a dick. I guess. If you <laughs> want to do that. I don't know. If you want if that's what you're into, whatever. Whatever, yeah, we're not judging. But um, continue to please listen to us over uh, with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not listen to the other great shows on there? But also dig into our archives on the Podbean feed for the first, like, 60 or so episodes we did before we joined ESO. And nothing else you can't, you know, buy our merch or subscribe to the Patreon. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, and Share the show around, because that gives us more visibility. Seagull on the tire, won't you share our shit? <laughs> I mean, you have a lot of, like, wing space. You can fly around quite well. I can just share the show. That's the real Twitter. <laughs> They're flying rats. Look at, come on. <laughs> Unlike our listeners who are not flying rats. Beautiful, beautiful, normal rats. <laughs> yes, yes. But now, Adam... Before we go, it is time to do our picking for next week, where um, every week Adam and I uh, have two good movies, two bad movies. We stitch off on the quality for that for the following episode. In this case, Adam has two good movies. I have two bad ones for our topic. And uh, that topic, which was chosen by our Patreon subscribers, is Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme, who Adam is a big yes. fan of. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Adam's a big fan. And uh, I am a bit more of a novice, though I've been uh, catching up a bit with Adam here. Um, we have some movie nights we do off mic, and uh, we've watched a bit more of Van Damme. I've been studying up. I've been taking notes that Mr. Van Damme has yeah. his career a bit. Um, and, you know, Adam has the two good movies, and he's put a uh, number between 1 and 10 associated with both of his good movies. I've done the same for my bad movies, and uh, each of us will pick number between 1 and 10 that gets us the good and bad choice. But keep in mind, we have the Godfather rule, where Adam and I, from now until May of 2022, which will be our next anniversary episode, we have the option to put up a veto if we hear a choice and say, you know what, we don't really want to cover that one necessarily. I'm not a big fan. Um, and the way that we end up deciding this is uh, the person who has the two choices, after they read that first choice that uh, is close to whatever number, will ask, do you want to take the cannoli? And the other person who was picking the numbers will either say, no, I don't want to pick the cannoli, or actually, I'll take the cannoli. 
and thus we do not cover that movie and go to the other choice that's available. Yeah. So, Adam, for your two uh-huh. good choices, hmm, you know, I think I'm going to, in honor of our favorite duo, Barb and Star, I'm going to do two. All right. At number three, I have uh, one that is based off a comic book. Uh, a lot of people don't maybe realize it's a comic book film or that, you know, there isn't even is a comic book uh, with this title. I have the sci-fi time travel time cop. All right. Yeah, well, this is one I've seen. And yeah. I quite enjoyed it a lot, so... Do you want to take the cannoli, buddy? I do not want to take that cannoli. Alrighty. Well, your alternate choice would have been, uh, at number 10, I have one of his considered classics. I have Bloodsport. I have seen that one. That one is quite fun. I do like Bloodsport quite yeah. a bit. Uh, featuring future Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker in a very small role. Yep. I think like the same year he did uh, Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> so it was like baby-faced yep. <laughs> fucking Forrest Whitaker. Chasing Van Damme around Hong Kong. Oh, good lord. It, literally in a sequence that's like straight out of a Beatles movie. It's tremendous. Uh, but, but Adam, I've got the two yeah. bad. So why don't you go ahead and pick a number two, one and ten for those choices as well. Well, I was going to say, and because of Cherry, I'll pick a fucking zero. But that doesn't, that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't quite work uh, out doesn't work so in favor of chirk i'll pick a 10 all right at number nine i have one that i have seen with adam that i guess is technically bad but we had so much fun with and i can't wait to discuss it on the show i have 1990s lionheart yes that dude's gonna kill you lionheart don't you know that <laughs> yes so adam, i'm gonna take a wild guess and you're saying you're not gonna take the cannoli oh fuck no i'm not taking the cannoli on that one <laughs> or in honor of Lionheart, you should have offered me KFC. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> good fucking guy. The weirdest sponsorship ever in that movie. Yeah. Um, well, if you had taken the cannoli, we would have ended up uh, with, at number two, a one I haven't seen, but I've heard not the best things about Cyborg. Uh, yeah, sci- uh, that's, probably, that's a good call. So I, would, I have fondness for Cyborg, but it's kind of boring. So I don't think we would have really had too much. Other than like the couple bits of trivia, so I think I think we lucked out here. I mean, we'll, look, we'll have so much to say about Lionheart and Time yeah. Cop. To be fair, we'll we have just a lot do to... a Lionheart episode, <laughs> perhaps. But we'll be talking about that in Time Cop next week. Uh, so that ends the show, and uh, in honor of that, everybody, um, you know, go ahead and have yourself a nice vacation in Vista Del Mar, but make sure to avoid the mosquitoes. Seagulls in a group. We'll see you soon. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.